The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives, I claim to remember a different, a very different present life. The psychotic drones, where the mystic swims, they're drowning. Hello and welcome back to the Astro Flight Simulation Podcast, where we attempt to navigate the digital world through art and culture. And today I have somebody here who goes by the name of Nightmare Vision. He's the uh, internet owl of Minerva, who has agreed to come on to me and talk about the Twitter sphere and the, uh, well, the changing culture in the digital age. So Nightmare, why don't you give us a quick introduction? Uh, do, you, do you go by Nightmare or do you go by Mr. Vision? Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Mister Vision sounds pretty cool, but it's a, it's it's slightly pretentious. It sounds like the like the the, the man controlling everything from behind the scenes, uh, which is some, pretty like, based comic comic villain in a show. How about uh, oh, and how about NV? You could refer N- to me as NV. That's like all right. short. All right, yeah, let, uh, just abbreviate. NV is good, but nightmare yeah. nightmare is pretty badass too. <laughs> nightmare is pretty badass too. Uh, yeah. I agree. I'm not in the habit of asking my non-friends where they came up with their name, but I have always been curious about yours. Um, is there fun. a backstory? Uh, no, not really. It's actually, it, it's funny that you don't, it's actually, I think um, a friend said to me once that, you know, I'm really impressed that you managed to totally capture a B tier poll meme um, for your own brand. And uh, that's that's literally what it was. Uh, I, you know, I just wanted to make a name that was like in the spirit of kind of the whole the whole Twitter environment that you know I was like involved with, and you know it was just the joke that you know the guy puts on the nightmare vision goggles, and, yeah. like everything looks the same. Oh, I just okay. yeah, I always thought that phrase was kind of funny, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's that's basically where the name came from. And it's just like I I wonder now which I never really thought about this before, but I, I just wonder if there's other, there's like people who, when they see that phrase, they'll now think of like my account in, rather than like the actual original, like stupid, <laughs> stupid 4chan meme. Oh, right. Yeah, I did not know that. That's awesome. Well, good. I hope I've beat the, I, yeah, I think I, I hope I've overcome the origins of my, my own name. Yeah, well, I mean, once once our conversation really gets underway, it's going to be clear why you're one of the guys I picked here. I had no idea that to, to come on here. I had no idea that was a 4chan meme. So that you put the nightmare vision goggles on in the world is just exactly the same. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember I found you on Twitter because the name grabbed me and the and the owl uh, avatar is pretty badass. It's a pretty uh, trademark thing. Some people have... Uh, kind of similar or cookie cutter like avatars like with pepe the frog or something but yours stands out so that's cool thank you but the way i got to you know know you if you can say that we know each other because we've only ever talked to each other behind the veil of our avatars is through uh twitter's twitter's function of spaces now at the risk of sounding like a commercial for twitter although if they want to pay me and fund this podcast i'd be more than happy to to promote them even more um I actually wanted to start out talking to you about spaces for a minute 
because you guys, you and your friend uh, who used to be, well, he goes by uh, what future Moldovan citizen. Yeah. Well, what are we going to call him? I don't know. Nightmare vision and future Moldovan. I don't, I can't. What are we going to call yeah, him? Yeah, too many mouthfuls, right? Yeah, exactly. We need like, we need names like Jack and Jill. Yeah, we, we just, <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to whittle everything down. I guess I'll call him future because future's the best rapper right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you guys, you guys have like a, like a, like a radio broadcast almost. It's like the equivalent of like a, a multi-weekly, you know, radio call-in show. It's like the internet version of that. So real quick, I'm sure everybody's familiar with spaces, but the spaces uh, function on Twitter is basically that it, when you press the tweet button, instead of tweeting, you can open a, what they call a space and your icon or your avatar will show up on the top of everybody who's following you. It'll show up on top of their timeline. And if they click on it, they can see you and, and all the people that are in your space and their avatars. And, you know, it's a live talk. And I think they were probably trying to move in on the Discord uh, market there because you could do that on Discord. Apparently, I've never I'm not a gamer, so I've never done that. Um, but I know people talk that way over Discord. And some someone tweeted, maybe it was even you, that the spaces feature was really a, a function of the pandemic. Uh, they rolled it out at the beginning of the pandemic as a way for people to use Twitter more to keep in touch. Uh, do you agree with that was probably the thought process behind it? Because there was an article that came out that said that they like rushed the whole thing through development to try to get it out like early 2020. Um, that that wasn't my tweet because I'm only hearing that for the first time. That, oh, okay. that speculation. And it, it, it makes sense to me um, because it also... It makes sense just as a general idea, but it also makes sense in terms of the time because it was it did seem pretty rushed. Uh, it, it didn't really work very well initially. Yeah, and it, it's it like still kind of has glitches. Yeah, I get kicked out all the time. It's, it's like unbelievably frustrating. I want to just punch a hole in the wall while I'm holding my phone. And like um, I, I've noticed that like they've it's been out uh, for like longer than it seems like they had a vision for what they wanted to do with it. Like they've almost been like updating their idea for what they want it to be um in real time and uh which actually like i don't it hasn't been on purpose it seems like it's accidental which has been like really good for content because they kind of temporarily i'm assuming it's temporary as they like get more control over it uh, which i hope never happens but like they kind of temporarily recreated almost the same like wild west um environment or, or feeling that 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 Twitter used to have basically prior to like 2017 2016 and so like you have just like you know obviously like people listening to this if they're not familiar there's like really off the wall very politically incorrect uh that's stuff going on that like stuff that people would never really tweet or talk about in it's tweet, but they're talking about it in spaces like you know they're, they're, there's lots of uh stuff touching on like really controversial subjects and they're not even just by people like like you and I, like anonymous people, like people that have like their names and faces out there. Um, and shout, you can... out, shout out Tariq Nasheed and Thomas Sotomayor. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, you got the Hotep, so like the black nationalists, they're doing all this stuff. And like, I don't know if Twitter thought like, 
you know, oh my God, what's Tariq Nasheed going to do with this new uh, app? So it's it's like really it's like really funny in that regard that they that there's these little like cracks that uh, they weren't able to like patch up uh, fast enough where like people have been able to yeah like Tommy Sotomayor is a, a pretty pretty great example and he had his little blazing run uh, right into the heart of the sun yeah, with uh, with his spaces. So yeah yeah I, I don't I'm assuming though that that's probably what the idea was that it was kind of, yeah it was like a a simulation of like maybe Google Hangouts and like a lot of other kind of, I, I don't know, they, they never really worked very well as like suitable replacements. And none of them really do work as like a, a genuine replacement for like social life. But yeah, with like the lockdowns and stuff, it probably would have been a good time for them to release it in like a much more workable state at the time, yeah. uh, which they didn't do. But even though uh, it but that's probably the idea. Yeah, and even though it wasn't workable, it still got the job done, and uh, it's it works a lot better now. Um, I definitely when I when it when it first started, I definitely saw. I was like, this is going to last six months at the most. Yeah, <laughs> I think know? I think most people thought that. I think most yeah. people thought it would just be a disaster. Yeah, and you know when they first rolled it out, like I, I'm sure your first thought was like, well, who's gonna who's gonna be the first one to click this button? Yeah, like, who's I, gonna use this thing? You know, like. You know, it just was like, is this a trap? Or is like, you know, am I going to get my account suspended instantly as soon as I, I like say one word? Uh, so yeah, like, especially like um, if you're like anonymous or, you know, just anything like that, you have this like natural trepidation where you're just like, you know, what is this new tech? Like, I don't know if I should use this. Yeah, they, um, I don't know. They don't, you don't get, I, not that I've ever used a game of word. I don't talk like that, but <laughs> I, I got the impression that you don't get banned as quickly, but that was, that was actually what the article in the Washington Post I, I referred to was about, was about how people get away with saying anything on those spaces. I mean, like literally anything, but if they, if you tweeted it, you'd be banned immediately. So they, people are upset, mostly, you know, the usual suspects are upset, random people online who have nothing better to do than, than be like the woke patrol and uh tattle on tattle on uh tattle on anons to teacher but some people who work at twitter as well were according to this article anyway upset about it because the technology seems like it isn't there to really monitor the spaces and hold people accountable to uh the twitter rules of conduct people get pretty upset uh, but people record them and then they retweet them and they'll have uh you know, uh, things that would get you banned if you tweeted it. And and as far as I know, I've never heard of anyone getting banned because of a Twitter space, even Tommy Sotomayor. Uh, he's I guess he's been banned many times. But respect to Tommy, he he blocked me because I'm not a black woman. <laughs> he literally said that was why he was blocking me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, man. Um, but but yeah, so. It's a it's a huge inspiration for this podcast, actually, because I was using it with a friend of mine, uh, aspiring Vitruvian, who's going to be a recurring guest here. It's, I see him as a part time co-host um, and that me and him were, were hosting them and we were really hitting it off. And, you know, he's someone I've never met in real life and we read a lot of the same books. And uh, I it, it eventually evolved into me starting this podcast. But I want to talk about your Twitter spaces, because that's how I know who you are. That's how me and you met. And I've, I've watched your account grow uh, substantially over the last year or two. And I have to assume, I mean, you do, you do have some successful tweets. I have to assume the spaces uh, uh, feature is part of your growth. Do you, have you noticed that it's helped your account grow? 
Uh, no, I haven't really noticed, I'm just just being frank. No, I haven't really noticed at all. Uh, I don't really it feels a, a bit insular where rather than because right. I mean, this is partially intentional, like I'm not, you know, when I whenever I do anything like that, I, it hasn't been part of my mind to like branch out or reach other people. So like, I don't try to like, enter into other people's or speak. I, I'm not like eager over eager to like speak in other people's spaces where I know I can like, you know, reach potentially like an audience that that I don't already reach. So right. like with the spaces, it almost feels like it kind of feels like preaching to the choir, but not necessarily because it's like a it's like a much smaller choir than like my normal, you know, the, the normal amount of people I'm assuming, you know, like uh, get exposed to, to, to my tweets. So I mean, I I kind of view it as like an entertaining addition that people only see if they're relatively um, how would I put it like relatively invested or like heavy frequent Twitter users, uh, it's like, you know, mutuals and people who I noticed, um, who are like, right. They regularly kind of tune in whenever, um, I host spaces and I, I kind of feel like I see, it's not like I, I keep any particular count or anything like that, but I do feel like I generally see like similar people yeah. who, who listen and stuff. And it's always like a similar number. And again, it's not like I'm trying to do anything different, but just in terms of like, whether that's helped my account, it, it may have, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it hasn't felt like that. It's felt like, um, people who already know me in some respect, um, have kind of like, you know, maybe they're like, Oh, look, uh, I wonder what this is. And then they, they like click on it and they, you know, they see that, you know, I'm talking or, or me and someone else are, are speaking with each other and, you know, they just find it interesting. Well, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you and what you and future do, because you guys, I've always seen you two together and uh, you guys are kind of like a, a mainstay at this point. You probably do yeah. two or three times a week. Yeah. Well, th I can't really take credit for this. I mostly get bullied. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, soft and I have no tough <laughs> exterior. I have no thick, hardened carapace. Yeah. That's uh, how I, that's how I got you on this show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, refugee or citizen, whatever you want to call him. Um, he is, yeah. Some, you know, some, whenever the mood strikes him, he'll hit me up and we'll, we'll plan to do one either that day or the next day. And um, yeah, like usually it's because he's motivated to talk about some like autistically particular aspect of like some Eastern European political party, which is like, you know, that's fine. That's his wheelhouse. And I, and I think he's really good at it. So like, I, I even find it like captivating to like a, a, a limited extent for someone who doesn't have the same level of knowledge at all that, that he has for it. But then also there's just like a personality gelling when it comes to that. Uh, he and I do uh, get along fairly well and we, uh, you know, like we do, besides the fact that we have somewhat overlapping interests, we also like to kind of make fun of things in a similar way. And certain things kind of aggravate us in a, in a similar way too. And so, yeah, it, yeah so there's like a, a definite congruence between the kind of things that we want to make fun of and um, kind of like talk about it in, in a somewhat like sarcastic or critical uh, way. <laughs> so, and then, in addition to that, the the spaces they like you were saying earlier, they kind of do act almost as like a call-in uh, radio show. Yeah, which I think is uh, awesome that the internet is like <laughs> bringing that back. Yeah, it, it, in a way it is, but like, and I think that Citizen agrees with this. I think he also likes the kind of live interaction aspect of it, which I I also do. I enjoy the fact that people are listening live, but um, no, I absolutely hate. 
uh, the call-ins. I hate when people want to talk. I yeah. don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Uh, but I am very polite. Um, and which is funny because Citizen likes when people call in, but he is not uh, polite. Yeah. So we have the exact opposite 180 degrees inverse relationship where he wants people to call uh, to kind of like request to speak so he can like shut them down or will willfully misinterpret what they're saying um, in a disparaging tone. And I don't want to hear them, but when they call in, I would let them probably talk for like an hour if they were aggressively trying to monopolize the, the time on the space. So we kind of go, we kind of like operate as like, <laughs> like a duo in that regard. Yeah, I don't know if this is a fruitful uh, thought uh, experiment, but I'm always trying to determine whether or not it just in my own head for my own self, like if the internet is a net positive or a net negative. And I, I almost think the internet balance it balances itself out but most of the time i think it's a net negative uh, i don't know what's your opinion on that i'll tell you why i'm asking in a second but what do, what do you think um, about that i would say that it's it's a net negative well i guess it depends how big you want to go i would say it's overall uh, a net negative and yeah i, would say I think I, so yeah. too but i would well give me how about you yeah you, you go you give well, i'll tell you why first. i say that though because what you're saying about spaces is the uh, and, and the call-in stuff is the whole crowd sourcing aspect of the internet it basically tore down like all of like the the pillars of the pillars of radio the pillar pillars of cable news um the 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 pillars of music like the big rock stars and uh movie stars and it crowdsourced everything and uh so now you have like millions and millions of uh startup musicians on youtube you have millions of political commentators on twitter and it it's it's tough to say it's sometimes it's tough for me to say that it's a net negative because so many good things come out of that and uh one of the reasons i have this show is to talk to guys like you who've got who've got like a bit of a following because they pay attention to your critique of politics and religion and culture um self-published authors some of them are like very successful they start their own movements and i think all that's great but at the same time like you can't deny, and this really gets at the heart of why I wanted to have you on the, uh, on my show. You can't deny that there's kind of been a flattening or even a devolution uh, of cultural uh, production in the last 20 years. And it seems like a lot of the music all sounds the same, or a lot of the movies are just sort of re recreating the same exact thing over and over and over again. Or you have a radio call-in show, you have a guy like uh, Current American Citizen who is like, ridiculously knowledgeable and well-read and then uh you start get and you have this like really captivating uh talk for a little while and then you open it up to the audience and it's like you know half drivel and it's just like takes another hour to get back to the point we um, love our fans that's the official uh, well, the official you know, the official line is that we love our <laughs> that was a, a self-deprecating <laughs> comment though because that's how i met you guys is i was a fucking because I'm such a spurg about certain things. And like, I hear him talking about things. I'm like, wow, this is the only other guy out there who nerds out on this shit that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Which is why I love the internet. But what was your, what was your take on the net negative? Versus well, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think that one of the things that you've seen over the past, like maybe year or two, I think it's with the emergence of a kind of very, I want to call it like astroturf, uh, but it's it, like a very kind of prominent and visible online leftism uh, that's emerged through like Twitch streamers and on Twitter and YouTube and stuff. 
um, after all the censorship of like, you know, 2018 and, and 2019, uh, after Trump's election, um, people have this like tendency, especially when they're coming from a more leftist perspective to have this like very uh, overwrought uh, or overwrought theories of how propaganda works. And, you know, they want to come up with kind of very, very nuanced and complex takes um, about, you know, like the goings on of three letter agencies and the way people are being manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that despite the, despite the fact that there's merit to some of the, the accusations and the fact that their targets are not always totally wrong, um, you know, talking about like things like the CIA or, you know, like, like mid to late 20th century kind of um, efforts to, to control, you know, political opinion and stuff like that. I think that there, it's a, there's a bit of a cope going on that they themselves, since they themselves are kind of um, propagating this, this propaganda and they're kind of victimized by it themselves, um, they don't want to admit how like heavy handed and clumsy propaganda historically uh, has been. And so I think like the, the biggest reason that what I'm saying is like just trying to kind of give a preamble to why I think one of the biggest reasons why it's been a net negative is because it's just like it, it functions as a kind of like giant propaganda machine. And yeah. the, kind of, the kind of uniformity that you experience culturally, I think, is in service to uh, political uniformity. I think because, like, there is clearly, like, a, a very um, inter um, interlinked relationship between culture and, and politics, I think that uh, uniformity in, in one kind of um, helps condition uniformity in the other. And so, you know... It's, it's not like it's some really complicated thing where, you know, you need to like deep, uh, dig deep into like tons of, you know, redacted papers in like an abandoned uh, warehouse somewhere. Um, it, 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 like you just look at like TikTok, you can look at Twitter, you can look at, uh, you know, these like really prominent uh, websites and they act by, by and large as like, you know, propaganda outlets and like that has a, that has an effect on a lot of people. Um, and the fact that you see, like the, the fact that it's visible, especially if you're like anonymous on Twitter or you kind of have like dissenting opinions, the fact that it's very visible to a lot of people that like they're, that you, that you see other people who are kind of resistant to it. I think it creates a, a little bit of a blind spot where, you know, you think that it must be more subtle than this. You know what I mean? Like it, it can't be this obvious. It can't just be like, you know, people sharing these images or, you know, people talking on discord or people talking on this, you know, some sort of like media sharing site. And they're like, you know, in inviting people to be, become exposed to like, you know, LGBT propaganda or. Right. You know, so when you say heavy handed, you mean it's almost like shocking even at this late uh, stage, how heavy handed the propaganda is. Yeah, but well, I partly just mean that it's very obvious and that like people want to believe that it's much more subtle because a lot of times people, you know, they're motivated by a lot of reasons. I think like, you know, if you yourself are kind of repeating what someone like you and I would consider propaganda, you don't want to admit that about yourself. You don't want to say that like, you know, I am kind of a product of 21st century 
ideology, right? Yeah, and so yeah. what you want to do is kind of insert a series of layers in between that to kind of like save face. And so I think it, it motivates a lot of that where like uh, a lot of times it's, it's not necessarily that complicated. Um, you know, you see like these explosions in social trends among people that are like under 20 or under 25 or under 30. And, you know, they just didn't exist before. And now they're like everywhere. And then eventually they get reflected in like, you know, pop culture media or like Netflix or, or you know, like, uh, you know, big movie production companies. And, you know, it, it, it's complicated in the sense that it originates in like, you know, boardrooms and, you know, NGO activists and people are coordinating with like politicians and stuff like that. But the actual like production dissemination of it is not necessarily complicated. Uh, you can just go and see like. People... Well, what do you what do you think the production and the dissemination is? Do you think it's a top down thing or do you think it's organic uh, crowd crowdsourced grassroots? Well, I think that now I think that over time, I think it mostly initiates top down. And I think there's a distinction to be made between how it's initiated and how it kind of self propagates. And I think that there's like a kind of like a cascade where the top down, um, the, the level of saturation that occurs from top down propaganda eventually kind of takes root in the population and it starts to grow more and more in a seemingly organic manner. Um, but part of that, it, you know, it's kind of like a psychological cause where people who become heavily invested in it have, you kind of have to take on the role of a true believer. Uh, no one wants to see themselves as like repeating propaganda to like convert right. other people, right? That's just not how people function. Like everyone wants to see themselves as like being genuine, sincere adopters of a certain uh, worldview. And so I think that like the distinction between top down and bottom up becomes blurred uh, over time. Like now, um, like, you know, even now, I would never doubt that this stuff is um, being given to people uh, in a top down manner in some form or fashion. But I think it's a little bit of a, um, uh, I, th I think it's a little bit inaccurate at this point to solely attribute it to that. Um, you know, you see a lot of stuff from the 2010s onward, uh, where, you know, you're not necessarily exactly sure how it started, but, you know, it's being shared by like teenagers, uh, or, you know, like social media, where it's like, you essentially become a content creator yourself. And right. So there's like an unconscious uh, element to it where, yeah, you know, so, it, so it's, it's, it over time, it becomes just more difficult to pinpoint like, oh, is this happening in like a, according to some formal structural execution of a plan? Or is it just like a kind of subcultural growth thing? I, I think that's just like, it naturally over time becomes harder and harder to discern the difference. You, uh, yeah, you've been around longer than me and you, you know, more people, you have a bigger following. So you might be in a better position to answer this question. And this is just your opinion. You don't have to prove it with facts and logic but mm -hmm. uh have you found that the people you associate with at least on twitter uh agree with what you're saying or do you think like mm -hmm. it does it seem to be like consensus that this is because i know like some of the ideology is obviously pushed like when you have a when you have a rainbow flag in a uh a, a, a go army commercial that's funded by the federal government that's clearly uh, it either see, well here's the question I guess uh, actually I'll ask the question like this are they pushing an ideology or are they are they are they signaling acceptance of a lifestyle in an attempt to uh, draw people in 
You know what I mean? Because I've actually had this debate with someone before, and I got pretty entrenched into the belief that that they weren't pushing a lifestyle. They weren't trying to push an ideology, that they were, in fact, noticing the trends and trying to to draw people in. And then, uh, you know, so there's like there's like, OK, so they see that that's popular. They see that that the LGBTQ ha- hashtag has, you know, 33 million tweets or something just just in the last 24 hours. So they think maybe we should uh, maybe we should make put this in our commercial and we'll get more people to join. Or you can say there's a, a smoke filled boardroom of a bunch of men in suits smoking cigars coming up with, you know, tr- the best way to, to roll out the Illuminati's plan. And, and this phase is to push that. And then there's the middle ground, which is that uh, some uh, and here's where I have to stumble over my terminology use here before I draw the wrong eyes of Sauron onto me. Some, uh, let's just say a near menopausal uh, woman who maybe uh, passed her prime and spent all her best years uh, working her way up in the human resources department uh, is like forcing the army to make a commercial about LGBTQ because, uh, you know, that's her proclivity. Um, I mean, the truth has to be somewhere in the, the three scenarios that I just laid out. I mean, how, how do you have you? I, I, I tend to find people think it's probably something between the boardroom and and the the the, the spinster um, pushing her her pet, you know, woke uh, 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 political correctness that she's harbored her entire life. I don't on. think that uh, I don't I, think that your speculation is really off at all. I think that that's. I think there's like a blurred uh, line there that historically has taken place like lots of times where people basically like fund or encourage um, things that without necessarily like creating an entire trend from scratch. Uh, Yeah, I I think that's totally plausible. That that happens all the time where people just decide like, oh, this this ought to be encouraged. Um, And yeah, so like in other words, it's it's not necessarily. I don't I don't know uh, in, in every single instance of this. I don't know if it's like created um, specifically for that purpose, or it's just like encouraged to grow and to become more more trendy uh, over time. I, like I, I can totally. I, I think that's like extremely plausible, um, and I, I think that you always have in every in every case you always have people that again whether they are, whether they um, are accurate in their self-perception or not, um, you're always going to have people who are like committed ideologues, right? Like, you know, academics and, and, and stuff like that, they, they get involved, you know, especially throughout the 20th century, they get involved in like government organization and statecraft and like, you know, secret, you know, organizations and things like that. But uh, a lot of those accusations, you know, even when they're true, they, they do kind of obscure the degree to which those, you know, like intellectuals are true believers. In, in whatever they're saying. And they're not, you know, they're, they're not self-consciously and a lot of activists and even people today, they're not like self-consciously t- saying that like, I am an instrument for right. my bosses, so to speak. So yeah, like this is kind of part of what I'm trying to say that like that, yeah, the, the kind of picture that, that, that people tend to, to draw when they do and almost like your, your caricature that you offered of like smoke filled rooms. It's like, it's a, it's, it's a bit of an oversimplification because it kind of robs, like, it sounds weird. I almost want to give respect to ideologues. It almost robs them of their agency. <laughs> the fact that they're like, they are true believers. And there are people that dedicated 
time to like kind of convert and, and, and bring other people into the fold who weren't like directly on the payroll of some, you know, organization or, or something like that. Like, I mean, that, that clearly has to be true to some extent. Like, there, yeah, there, are, saw there that. are certainly a legion of true believers out there. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but I also have to think that a lot of this stuff is just being cynically adopted. Um, but well, I just asked... really, really quick, really quick. No, go ahead, the, go re- ahead, the reason yeah, yeah. I, the reason we kind of ended up drifting into talking about this is, is mostly, I, you know, just to like state it like clearly is that like you were asking whether, you know, this kind of development of, of, you know, interactive like social media and stuff has been like a net positive or negative. And I think the reason you kind of drift into these discussions of these types of ideologies like LGBT and, and other things like that is because I think it's like the overwhelming um, proof of its negativity. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's harder to, it's hard to imagine a worse impact of, um, you know, like social media and just the internet in general um, since the 2010s in like affecting the self-perception of like, you know, young teenagers uh, to the point where they're like actively harming themselves or it's like directly impacting their uh, well, which, lifestyle which, and their behavior. Which specifically are you saying has that negative impact? Well, just like a lot of that, like, like we were talking about like LGBT stuff, like, uh, you know, being on Tumblr and turning, you know, trying to turn people trans and even on Twitter right now, like that's, there's like a lot of people that are just directly interested in in doing that and the the point i'm trying to make is just that like if you if you wanted to like plead your case that this whole thing has been a mistake and it all just needs to be thrown into the garbage um affecting like the sexual identity of like teenagers (laughs) like like at the most important point in their development just completely breaking them and warping it into something that like there's a very good chance they may never like fully recover for the rest of their lives if if, if they ever even attempt to yeah. um you know what i mean like it's it's like it's harder to come up with like a stronger yeah. case case for why this whole thing has been a gigantic mistake at least in my mind you know not to get too far off the subject here but i've i've definitely yeah. um you know my my perspective and my politics my personal politics are pretty consistent in their overall morphology throughout my adult life but mm-hmm. uh the specifics have changed a lot. And one of the, and, and I'm, I'm far more into the conservative camp. I'm fully in the conservative camp now. And one of the reasons that happened to me is because none of the things the left claimed uh, were going to happen happened. And everything the right claimed was going to happen has come true. I mean, on the culture war stuff. And one of the things is uh, sex education. I remember thinking sex education was actually a rather reasonable proposal because I was like, uh, if people are ignorant about these things, they can make mistakes. They can get STDs. They can have unwanted pregnancies and uh, maybe they would be uh, more susceptible to being taken advantage of in a certain way uh, if they don't have sex education. And the right would always say, no, no, no. They're just using this as a way to uh, sneak in like really inappropriate, nefarious uh uh, uh, putting putting bad ideas in kids' heads and basically to sexualize children and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, nobody wants to do that. And now they they openly say that that's what they want to do. I mean, their their whole agenda is to do exactly that without any 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 uh, remorse or any like uh, pussyfooting around uh, around it. They're they're not even trying. 
to say that this is a, an, object, an objective scientific attempt to educate people on, uh, you know, biological sexual intercourse. It's, it's purely ideological and it's, it's purely uh, the sexualization of, of children. So, yeah, the Internet has been an accelerant for that sort of thing. And it's uh, uh, one of the, the thing about the Internet is it takes this sort of um, ivory tower discourse because I'm old enough that I went to college in the 90s. And I don't know if anybody remembers that movie, PCU, the Politically Correct University. Uh, I think that that came out in the 90s. And they were kind of lampooning like political correctness. And there was just like, it was an attempt to be like another animal house. Did you see that movie? No, I didn't see it. You should probably watch it, dude. It sounds interesting though. It's an interesting time time capsule because it came out in the 90s. But the whole thing was like making fun of vegetarians, making fun of uh, feminists and things like that. And uh, so back then, right, all this discourse about everything we're talking about, plus uh, critical race theory and everything that you think of when you hear about woke politics, all of that was isolated in, in, in the universities and in academic texts. And I only came across it in the most like fringe peripheral, you know, elective that I had to take to fulfill my major. And I'd end up reading some Marxist theorist or some feminist Marxist theorist. And I've, it's just been so absurd and baffling and, and just, it took me years to, to realize, just to watch all that terminology spill out onto like the regular discourse on cable television and regular people that you meet and young people that you meet who are, who are nowhere near college age using uh, these terms and and the terms are you know the, the 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 language and the discourse is being pushed on them through critical race theory and through um, you know I can't regular- imagine a, t- a teenager trying to you uh, you um, use as like a flex that they're already kind of regurgitating like contrived academic jargon. Well, it's, uh, it's, that- <laughs> it's so crazy. I know, but that's just the normal way they talk now. And anyway, the point I was trying to make, that was a long-winded way to make the point that uh, the, you know, Moldbug, if you've read um, Gentle Introduction, he says, you know, Cthulhu always swims left. And there's like a, like a decades-long lag time between discourse and ideas and ideology that is like stuck in the ivory tower and stuck in academia, matriculating its way out into the culture and it and there's a lag time of like 30 years and it goes through uh the newspapers and it goes through uh subcultures and things like that and i feel like he's absolutely correct and i feel like the the internet just like is a huge accelerant and that all of a sudden this stuff is immediately available to these kids and it like spreads like wildfire and uh suddenly you have people who have no real life experience repeating these like you know, stock phrases uh, of, of like radical Marxist uh, political theory. It, it's just so crazy to watch. Well, that's why it's a net negative. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There this you is go. Like, you know, I mean, there are some things like, you know, you could, you know, you can stream uh, way more things now and, you know, you could have all these movies at your fingertips, but like they all pretty much suck anyway. Right. And then also, you know, your kids might just have their like, identity just destroyed in, in real time while you're like while they're upstairs in their room and you're like yeah, working crazy. hard at your job so it's exactly like- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah well shit 
that's it then. So, okay, look, I had a whole chronology, but uh, the chronology is, is, is gone, which is fine because we got a lot of the meat of uh, what I want to talk about, how the internet affects culture. And uh, there's been a few sort of turning points or uh, boiling points. And obviously the biggest one in the last 20 years was the Trump presidency. So um, very quickly, you mentioned Tumblr and this thing I'm talking about, the internet being an accelerant to all these ideas and all this terminology. If you've read that book, Kill All, Nor- all Normies by uh, Angela Nagel, have you read that book? No, I haven't. No, I haven't I, read it. I'd be interested to find out what like right wing Anons think about that book because it's pretty good in a lot of ways, but also clearly written by an outsider who was uh, looking into all this stuff in order to like get her PhD, you know? Yeah, I read um, excerpts of it. Yeah, it's, it's a quick, easy read and it's, it's ultimately worth it. But the basic claim that she makes is that uh, you had the Tumblr people who were pushing the, the academic Marxist stuff that I'm talking about. And then you had the, the counterweight to them, which was the 4chan people. And that she makes the claim that they were basically a reaction to all this, uh, this woke Marxist ideology. And that those groups were sort of catalyzed and uh, solidified in their entrenched in their ways via Gamergate and turned them into like two powerful forces that immediately got applied to the the Bush uh, Clinton, excuse me, the Trump Clinton election in 2016. And you told me that you've been hanging out online since about that time. Mm -hmm. So you, you waded in to these two, these two factions going at it. Yeah, wait, hold on. Can you j- repeat again what what you th- what you think the the main thesis of her of the book oh, was? Yeah, I, I didn't read have, it. Yeah, I, I just want I to might, I time. might not have said it concisely. Uh, the main thesis of the book is that the 4chan memers mm-hmm. uh, basically helped propel Trump to the White House through their online <laughs> uh, through their online activities. You might want to call it Sami's dot, you might want to call it propaganda. Um, and that and that they were going to war with the Tumblr online people who supported Clinton. Ah, oh, OK. I, I mean, if does, yeah, this is the reason I wanted you to repeat it is because I wanted what I wanted to ask is if does that cash out into like um, helping Trump like materially, like in other words, like uh, actually garnering him material support like in the form of like voters or funding or something like that or is it more like uh kind of uh amorphous just like cultural kind of support that that was because i i feel like maybe the former i don't know if that's true at all uh i don't know if they got him like actual voters or anything like that yeah the claim is that they got him actual voters well i don't i don't know i mean well that's okay that's true to like that that has to be true to like some extent, right? There's like yeah, million, millions sure. of people. Vote. I don't know if it won him the election, but it definitely politicized people through the humor and through the irreverency that probably wouldn't have been paying attention. I would think. Yes, I th- well, I think that part of the the relevancy there to to uh, in 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 part was creating a space which Trump himself did, but this is where a lot of the people online uh, anonymously, and, and in some cases you knew who they were, but in, in, the, in, in the main, they were anonymous. They helped create a space online at least 
where people felt more comfortable deviating from the kind of structure that was go- that that politically would translate into a kind uh, um like a, a Clinton victory or not not just a Clinton victory but that would a structure that would translate into the cultural bias that someone like Clinton is the only appropriate candidate you should vote for, right? That like somehow voting for someone else, especially someone as like transgressive as uh, Trump um, would be like off, off limits and like outrageous. You know what I mean? Not in other words, not just someone who's like you would disagree with, but someone that's just like, you know, how could you? Like if you found out a family member was voting for him, um, you would like cut them off or like stop talking yeah. to them. It would be like finding out they were like a murderer or something like that. No, um, murderers aren't as bad as Trump supporters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I think that in in that regard, there there that's like the the part of the significant role that was played, that they helped create this space where you were kind of and and it still exists today. It's not like I'm talking about something that doesn't exist anymore. Um, where people can like be more irreverent toward a system that actually deserves material critique, which is probably part, this is what I'm guessing, where I would probably diverge from Nagel's book, where I think a lot of critics at the time, I don't even know if Nagel still agrees with this, frankly. I think she's, gone, she's undergone somewhat of an evolution since that book was released. Um, yeah, I would love to have her on. I don't know if I could. Get yeah, you should try. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty sure she has. She's been on like Tucker Carlson and stuff. So, like, I'm almost positive she has. But, oh yeah, like, she, yeah I think that the right. tenor, the, the the tone at the time, and since I didn't read the book, I'll just assume I kind of understand what you're talking about, and I'll go off the other general kind of leftist critiques that were being given, was that there was a transgression for transgression's sake, which serves two functions. I don't know. This this might be too like you know inside baseball or whatever but yeah this is this is an inside baseball episode we got okay actually, yeah I'm, so it's, i'm it's enjoying ser- it so go it off. serves two functions the, the the idea that people are just kind of engaging and like you know they, they'll call it trolling and like you know it, it's used in like a kind of pejorative way uh the the idea that you want transgression for transgression's sake does two things right it it it, it, it implies that your opponents are insincere right which is like the the big accusation right because if you're saying that someone's just you know it doesn't matter what they're they're what what kind of uh rule they're breaking they just want to break the rules right like you're kind of imputing an unseriousness to them that they really don't have any real beliefs they don't care about anything they're 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 like nihilists that was the big one right yeah man 2016 to 2018 that like if if you're not like just like a lib spinster wine mom you are like a nihilist you have no core beliefs you would be cool with like just like mass genocide you walk over dying people you know you laugh at people's misery and stuff all that stuff um and so yeah it, it implies the big accusation is that your opponent is insincere and they are fundamentally unserious and to even like kind of engage with them in a sincere manner would be a kind of undignified stooping to their level which is like beneath you which is like what makes them so intransigent and unproductive to, to ideologically converse with. And then the second thing, which is like the, it's, it's not the accusation, but the smaller implication, it's only slightly smaller, is that your beliefs kind of are, enjoy a default status, that they are, of course, like the normal person. You have the beliefs of a grass toucher. You have the beliefs of an outside goer, right? And you, and you so, mean like the Clinton voter now, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah because yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a, it's a giant 
you know, this is like a giant swab. It includes like every single cultural battle basically since 2015. Um, there's always like that side. So even today, like dealing with like even in is issues outside America, like in Canada or something, you, you still have like the Clinton voter archetype, right? Uh, even though they're, they're in another country. Um, yeah, there's like a presumption that, you know, if this person's transgressing just for transgression's sake, that they're just like reveling in, in chaos or whatever, that like, if, if, if someone is like this agent of chaos or something like that, you, you, you therefore must be the agent of order, right? And you, you must want good things because look, this person's wanting bad things. And so those go together. Right. And so what you have is a kind of like bad faith analysis where you're accusing the person of some interlocutor or some opponent of yours, you're accusing them of not having any genuine beliefs. And you're also helping to reinforce other people who believe exactly like you do, that like you're on like the quote unquote right side of history. And the problem with that is that it's so it's such a bad faith analysis and way of understanding cultural shifts that you kind of make it a self-fulfilling prophecy because if someone talks to you like that you your best bet is really to kind of just disrespect them and to engage in transgression for transgression's sake because in an irony they're demonstrating that they don't have any real beliefs like they are almost boasting about being ciphers for a like consensus ideology. And that means that like engaging with them in a meaningful way, it's actually not worth your time. It's actually like beneath the transgressor, right? Not the other. So it's like, they have it exactly backwards. Um, they're the ones that kind of aren't worth engaging with in an honest, like candid manner because you already know what they're going to say they're Which just a instruments. Total waste of time yeah they're just instruments of the consensus opinion and so i think that like i'm not really speaking just particularly about nagel in this case I oh, think yeah. it was with a lot of people i think that like they there was this idea that they were engaging in this like really penetrating an analysis of like <laughs> this like subcultural niche but ultimately what it really amounted to was like an unself-aware or like uh, um kind of mimicking of like Jane Goodall, like, uh, you know, living with the gorillas. And like, there was this fundamentally condescending aspect to it that actually prevented them from understanding what was going on fully. And it's the reason I'm pointing it out is because it was coupled with the pretension that they were like, giving you like a really in-depth penetrating analysis. Like they, they weren't, it was actually the opposite. They were, they were just ultimately reinforcing their own beliefs in the same way, like, a, you know, just like a, a typical journalist would. There, there was really nothing more penetrating about it than that. It, it was like a major failure. Yeah, man. Okay. You've done an excellent job on enunciating two of the main points here, uh, the way I see it. Uh, the first is people call, you know, wokeism and leftism uh, a religion. They say, critical race theory and all that. We'll just call it wokeism. It's the new religion. It's the secular religion. And it certainly does function like a religion. And the way you just explained it, I feel like is like a, like a, a very good uh, enunciation of that. Because when you talk to a person with serious religious convictions, you can't really debate them. Because ultimately, uh, their 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 rationale is comes down to they believe what they believe because their beliefs are true, they're inherently true, 
and they have like stumbled upon the truth or if they've had the truth revealed to them. So there's not really anything to debate. All there is to do is to try to convince others and proselytize to others to um, not only believe what you believe, but live your life according to their beliefs, uh, whether you really accept them or not, which is precisely how they act. And the other thing I wanted to say uh, is that the thing about the th and it's almost as if you not only read Nagel's book, but you you um, you looked at the the way it was presented in the mainstream media because uh, they accept all the things you said, like for example, that the right were nihilistic, um, that the right were irreverent for the sake of being irreverent, is exactly how they were talked about. It's exactly how that book was received, and that is attractive to young people. And prior to 2016, and this is, this is, I feel like that was a turning point because a lot of people talk about how uh, like certain things flipped and that the right believes certain things that the left used to believe and the left believes certain things that the right used to believe now. And I think the Trump election was the turning point because Fox News, like it had a low viewership kind of throughout its whole career up until mm -hmm. the time Trump came along. And those very few viewers that they had were all like octogenarians so there's no real way honestly that that fox news is going to to sway an election it's it's preaching to the choir it's like pre preaching to the choir par excellence um th there's nothing they could have done and of course jeb bush was going to be their guy whoever the rnc picked was going to be their guy there's nothing they could have done to captivate young people and young people would have just probably felt extremely disaffected uh, without Trump. But because Trump was there, uh, they were able to have something to work for, to work towards. And I think that these ulterior, uh, uh, excuse me, alternative platforms of discourse uh, to get ideas out there, and I mean alternative to your typical uh, newspaper or cable news network, was able to captivate young people in a way that like, I've never really seen before or read about except in a few instances like the Vietnam War. And of course, that was captivating the left. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like yeah. it was a, a very unique thing in the last 50 or 60 years. I mean, can you think of any example when, when the right kind of became a young people's movement uh, that was active ever? No, I, I can't either. No, I can't absolutely either. not. No. So, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, from the 60s to the 80s, uh, you know, post-Cold War, you had the kind of, yeah, the ascendance of, like, the, the right under Reagan, which ultimately just culminated in, like, the, you know, neoconservative dominance, which kind of fossilized into the, you know, kind of post-9-11 conservative consensus, which didn't, you know, that, that didn't appeal to, it, it was complete boomer bait. Um, you know, it was them kind of tapping into the, the last wellspring of patriotism and, and, and kind of national consensus that pretty much only exists among the boomer generation yeah. um, about like what America stands for and what the appropriate um, tasks uh, America ought to do in the wake of some sort of attack, like September 11th, right? Like it was like, you know, this is like a traditional war now. This It's like a new world war, except it's really not. And all the material circumstances have completely changed, but they were still relying on that. But the point, like, just to reinforce what you're saying is that, yeah, it didn't really, it didn't really rely on youth uh, at all. No. no, I mean, the youth, I think was, 
mostly opposed to it. I, I've got. I mean, culturally, yeah, culturally, the yeah, in the two thousands, the the left, to the extent that youth was expressive politically you would say is like a singular culture, like the youth or whatever. Right. Uh, it was clearly liberal. But part of the problem is that that really hasn't, that really hasn't changed much, even as people have grown up. So those same people are now just like, a lot of them are like Gen X liberals. Um, they kind of still believe and sound exactly the same, except now they're like 20 years older. Um, and so that, yeah, like the, the expressions kind of tend to become crystallized. And so in, in the same way, I guess it's an irony, but in the same way, the kind of boomer conservative had, had their own um, beliefs crystallized and in the sense of becoming like a permanent way of looking at the world, even as the world changed, the same thing happened to the kind of mid 2000s liberal. And so now, like today, they still believe broadly that they are kind of working off this, like the energy of like youthful rebellion and transgression um while the material circumstances of that has been that that rug has been completely pulled out from under them i mean there's no, nothing more geriatric I mean, that, yeah. yeah that is just total lying to yourself if they really believe that <laughs> i saw someone uh i mean this is <laughs> i think it was virgil he's a great account people should follow him uh virgil he tweeted a TikTok. It was a uh, Tom Morello, you know rage against the machine yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. it was a really good TikTok. it was so good he like you know, he introed himself with like a guitar riff. And then he said the uh, like, what is it like something like uncomfortable truths with Tom Morello. And then he does like a little and he's like, <laughs> he's like the the what was it like the men who the men who protected Anne Frank were breaking the law and the men who killed her were following the law. And then he just like goes on another riff and he like plays himself out. Oh, and it was man. so funny because you could tell that you were looking at someone who still sees himself as like effectively a teenager, but not just like an actual teenager, like psychologically, but like he still fulfills the role of teenage social transgression. Well, no, he he's supposed to. But he yeah, doesn't. yeah. Like, no, he, he in a warped they, way. He that's sees who they himself. trot out. As like, look at our young, it's it's the Steve Buscemi meme with Tom Morello's head, like, hello, fellow kids. Yeah. And so that's like, there's a, there, yeah, it's like, so that's what makes it very humorous. But like, in truth, like the saddest part is like, for a lot of people that actually wouldn't be funny. They would be like, oh man, this is so cool. Like the so, guy from Rage Against the Machine, like, oh yeah, you're really sticking it to those Christo fascists or whatever. And like, there's never any reckoning with like, dude, you're in your forties, man. Like, Mm. everyone believes what you just said what do you mean uncomfortable truths like what are you what are you talking about yeah. so like there's this like yeah like there's a humor created but this is this is i guess gets back to something like um nagel's book and like the general kind of analysis of the the kind of nation online subculture that 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 kind of came to the fore in, in 2015 and, and 2016 was that like no one was pointing out how funny that was and how tone deaf and how materially inaccurate that had become except people like online you know what i mean except like the the people that were like anonymous like on twitter and stuff like that they were the only ones getting together like laughing I mean, at this stuff dude. pointing out how you know how incongruent it was with the actual reality that like this is not teenage rebellion this is all just like state policy and the fact that it has the you know the patina of like kind of post 60s transgression it's it's like funny in a way it's like the it's it's only humorous it's something to laugh at you know 
yeah man i'm cracking up because the fucking soy jack meme is the funniest <laughs> thing ever and i don't know if does it go all the way back to the 4chan 2014 15 days well it depends i mean no i don't know like the, i know the, wojack the, is pretty old no the soy jack no the soy jack is definitely i think over the past like two years it's uh, just uh yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's perfect man a, because it gives it's taken over I, I just see like the the democrats and the left just like sloughing people off in like massive quantities and then you you just end up with all these disaffected people who uh, have nowhere to turn and like a guy like me just like sees a fucking person soy jacking in real life and just feels this visceral disgust yeah and then i'm like the i'm like the um the npc wojack <laughs> until i fucking see the soy jack meme and it's like wait other people think this is utterly ridiculous and embarrassing too like who whoever made the soy jack meme like is like reaching into my soul and it's like telling me i'm not alone yeah, you, the, you, can, <laughs> you can never you can never go back and no I, you can't it's yeah. a fucking turning point dude as soon as you see it if you know the the minute you lay eyes on that if you know you know and you're fucking red pilled it's over and part of the problem see okay so i was having an interesting just since you mentioned the the some of the spaces i do with uh, uh citizen um we did a space the other day maybe like two days ago um and we were talking about a book that he read that he, he was telling me to read and there was a particular chapter um this this uh journalist for the washington post right he uh he visits the soviet union in the like the late 80s or the early 90s like right immediately preceding its downfall right he goes to live there and he's basically looking for people who were either related to anyone who was like purged or like disappeared by uh the government at some time and also he's interested in interviewing people that were like close to stalin right and he interviews this woman who is this diehard stalinist and she actually wrote a letter to a, a conservative russian journal where she is complaining about the liberal democratic reforms that are coming to Russia. And she's basically lamenting the fall of Stalinism. And the, the reason we were talking about it is because what made it funny is that her language and the general tone of her complaining was essentially like a total mirror of how American conservatives sound now uh, here. And this is very funny because, you know, American conservatives, they they style themselves as kind of like the eternal enemies of communism, wherever it may be. Right. But the so the irony we were pointing out is that this older woman in Russia who was like a diehard Stalinist who will like never she would never give up her commitment to communism until the day she dies. She essentially uh, was sounding like an American conservative. So in the same way, American conservatives will say, like, listen, like, you know, America had slavery and the founding fathers did a lot of bad things. But, you know, overall, their vision of the country was worth preserving. It's a fundamentally decent vision. And look at all the things that we've accomplished as Americans. Our country has come so far. So, you know, we kind of want to you know, we kind of want to acknowledge all these transgressions, but we kind of want to give it a holistic analysis, right? Where like, where we can kind of reinterpret American history to kind of comport with kind of the, the post 60s civil rights uh, movement where like, you know, that we, we finally kind of culminated uh, or, or fulfilled what, what the original American dream and vision for America was meant to culminate in. And she was basically saying the same thing. 
about Stalin, where it's like, yeah, a lot of people died. And, you know, he did some bad things, but look how far we've come. Look how far Russia has come. <laughs> so we, we were having like a good laugh about how like conservatives are effectively identical to Stalinists in the late 80s because their, their regime is collapsing and it's giving way, in the case of, of the Soviet Union, it was giving way to, um, you know, like, you know, uh, Gorbachev's new policies of like Glasnost, Perestroika, like, uh, you know, like the injection of like kind of liberal capitalism, liberal democracy and, and, and reforms and things like that. Um, but in our case, right, uh, our government's making concessions every month, it seems more and more to uh, the American left. Right. And so the American conservatives are kind of like the, the Stalinist holdouts in a way. And the reason I bring this up is to, to relate it to your kind of uh, point about, like, for example, Angela Nagel's book, like Kill All Normies, and this kind of analysis of the right, where a lot of times people's self-identified political affiliations aren't the most important thing to know about how they function politically, that a lot of times people have a kind of social function and they have a collective social role that doesn't um, necessarily align with their stated uh, affiliations and, and political preferences. And I think this is something that was missed by a lot of people who wanted to analyze like, you know, anonymous people on Twitter and like, you know, right-wing people on like, you know, just any like anonymous websites or, you know, e even like burgeoning people who identify with their name and face. Um, you know, there's th like going back to the idea that, you know, they accuse these, these types, this type of person as like committing transgression for transgression's sake or being this nihilist. The, the, the problem with that accusation was they were, they were basically misunderstanding that, you know, in, in the same way that the American conservative and like the, this like, you know, like remaining Stalinist adherent from the late 80s, even though they declare themselves to be like totally opposite, yet they fulfill a similar, right, like cultural generational role, that there was a, a, a kind of similar pattern there where the, this like, this like anonymous transgression was actually in the service of like trying to like clear away a lot of the totems and shibboleths that have been erected in America over the past, like, you know, like 30, 40 years, even, even more, you know? And so what they were doing was they were, they were trying to accuse people of being nihilists essentially because they weren't liberals. Right. And that was like a bad faith critique because what they really ought to have been doing was analyzing the social role they were, they were fulfilling by engaging in this, where the real goal was actually to, um, kind of create a, a, an open, a more open conceptual space where something new can come because what we've had in this country for so long is clearly failing and it's decrepit and it's, it's, it's becoming more constrictive in order to uh, preserve itself. And so part of the problem with the analysis uh, is that they were unwilling to like look inward and to see themselves as the source of the problem. Because, right, like to the extent that these people are participating in this propaganda, they're kind of helping to foster the, restri the, the restrictive environment that in many ways can only be destroyed through what they would consider like transgressive nihilism, right? It's like, it's a tool. Uh, and so 
people were using it and they were upset because they were using it in the wrong direction. What is the tool? Transgressive nihilism? Yeah, like, you know, I'm just coming up with, I'm just like using their phrase in a way. Like the idea being that, um, you know, like essentially you kind of look, right? I mean, you have an experience of this, I'm, I'm sure, where, you know, people basically accuse you of not believing in anything because you don't believe in what they believe in. And that's not really true. But again, when someone is so committed ideologically in that mind space, it's not really worth it to try to have a like leveled conversation with them because what they're doing by assuming that position is ruling out any type of rational like precondition for, for discussion. And so like the only way to deal with them is to kind of do what they're, they say you're doing, which is engaging in like a kind of not, yeah, I don't believe in anything. Like that's like, here's a giga chat. I'm just going to quote tweet you with a giga chat. Like, yeah. And I'm just going to agree and amplify like, oh, I'm, I'm a nihilist. And then you're just like, yes, I am. And I'm going to destroy everything you believe in. And, you know, because it's like a, a rhetorical tactic because there really is no way to get out of it without essentially conceding to these people that like their belief about what's good and bad is the only belief about what's good and bad. And to deviate from that is to like believe in nothing. Uh, I, I, it just rings so uh, untrue. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it, it rings so untrue to me because it's, I feel like it's so obvious if you take a bird's eye view of the last 30 years, maybe even the last 40 uh, put the put the Reagan, uh, you know, the yuppie uh, Wall Street boom of the 80s in there because that, right because that was a reaction to like the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s. You had this uh, 1980s prosperity that gave way to 90s decadence and and uh, nihilism. And I would say the last time, in my opinion, really, the last time nihilism was any sort of cultural pervasive attitude was the the 90s, the late well, all the 90s really into the early 2000s. And I think either side, the left or the right of, of at least, you said 2010, we'll start about around 2010. Yeah, sure. Uh, is a reaction to that nihilism, in my opinion. I don't think either side is nihilistic. I think both sides are sincere. And um, even w when they do what you say, agree and amplify, uh, it's, not, it's not itself nihilistic. It is exacerbating their perspective and, and making them in, more entrenched in their belief that the right is nihilistic. But if you try to take an objective stance, and, a, and like I said, a bird's eye view of the last 40 years and the give and take and the way uh, one day, decade morphs into the other, in my opinion, it's pretty clear that what we have isn't nihilism at all. It's a, it's a sincere reaction to cultural nihilism. Because um, yeah, I, I would agree with that too. Yeah, I think the people on both sides uh, sincerely and strongly have a vision that they endorse and that they want to uh, put out into the world and perpetuate itself. And I don't think that they, the 90s really had that. Um, so, and, the, and then the other thing you were saying about uh, the, the Stalinist, uh, the lady who, who wanted Stalin to come. Oh, yeah, that was so weak. I, we, I couldn't get over that. It was such a funny read. It was just, yeah, it was just worth mentioning. I, I worked with a guy though who was from russia and and this guy was a fucking workhorse he was unbelievable the guy literally worked 12 hours a day seven days a week and he had a he had two full-time jobs uh, as and he was a property manager and he was probably a millionaire uh but he uh 
he never got a free moment. And he, I don't know how sincere this guy was, but he was basically that lady. And he was talking about, because he was much older than me. This was must have been 2010. And he was well into his 50s, if not older. And he had basically the same things to say that this, this lady did. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like lamenting the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, and it's kind of apt that we're talking about this because of everything that's going on in the Ukraine right now. Um, and, and that, and that uh, the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union, things were really, really bad in Russia. And Putin sort of stabilized them and got them a little bit more back on track, at least bringing some sort of normalcy back to the average Russian's life. Um, or as many as, as could be hoped for, given, given the, the fallout. Uh, but my point was that uh, he sat me down and gave me a very somber, sincere talk one night, because we, we were co-workers, about how he spent his whole life thinking, you know, the Russian government was evil, and communism was evil, and America was the promised land, and he finally gets here, and he sees everybody's a fucking bunch of pussies who don't have their priorities straight, and how he now realizes that like Stalin was the way and Stalin was the last person who knew how to run a country. And to this day, I'm like, I think he meant that. But is that possible? Did he re- or was he just fucking with me? Like, I really have no idea. So who knows? Who knows what those people think? But um, it's strange because nobody really endorses Stalinism. Uh, but yet they say real communism has never been tried so i think what they're trying to say is that stalin wasn't real communism and and they're they're this goes back to what you're saying right that their version is the right way and the real way and and what we rail against and say that we don't like and we don't want isn't we're railing against stalin but they are the are, are the proper on the right side of history socialists and that's not what they want at all um i don't really know what they think would happen. Um, but I have to imagine that at the end of it all, if the, if full communism was put in place, which you could argue that it already is in America, uh, I have to imagine that they would sound like the lady from the Washington Post article that like, sure, we had to liquidate 80 million Americans, but now we have full racial equality. You know what I mean? Okay, mainstream liberals have already been primed for that. I, after watching that Canada thing, it, it, the, the writings on the wall as far as i'm concerned uh, 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 dude dude they they're like they don't think the government is going far enough like with the yeah. pandemic and the truckers they Absolutely. want blood man they 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 don't want they they think that uh the pandemic lockdowns weren't strong enough they think the pressure put on american people wasn't heavy-handed enough and uh yeah they wanted they if they would have been cheering if they wiped those truckers out like violently and I mean, there's also uh, keep, keep going. No, Sorry. no, no, no. You, you, you. Well, I just wanted to get back to. I, I mean, you know, we can keep talking about that too. I, I think it's. I think it's interesting in its own right. But just now that you got me thinking, well, I, yeah, really... I don't really have a current event show here. I, I, I'm okay. on an ideas guy, so for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, now that I'm, I'm thinking about this more, and I'm, I'm start, you know, just I just wanted to point out now that the developments over the past several years have been what they have been, where there, like I said before, there's this been, there's this development of a very kind of prominent and visible leftism. Like people tweet about like socialism and communism and, you know, they get like hundreds of thousands of likes. It's like right now, the most normy thing to be a socialist or like a communist. It's like, it's, it's like utterly pedestrian. And, um, 
it, it's very prominent on Twitter, uh, at least. And it, I'm just realizing the kind of contradiction that exists at the heart of this kind of like leftist critique from a few years ago that like, oh, well, you know, all these right-wing anonymous people uh, or like so-called right-wing, right? We identify them as right-wing. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, but we want to kind of tar and feather them. So we're going to look for like, you know, the same thing they do today. Everyone's a fascist, everyone's a Nazi, et cetera. So these right-wing anonymous people are, um, they're just, you know, engaging in this kind of like nihilistic transgression. They're trying to like tear down altars and stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, in in 2016, you had like the, the Bernie Sanders campaign. And then that floundered in 2020 in like a, a very spectacular way. And then now you have this, like I said, this burgeoning kind of very visible political millennial and, and, and younger leftism that's on the internet. And so I just wanted to, I'm just like noticing now the, the contradiction between that, like, you know, how can you accuse people of being transgressive nihilists when like you yourself are somehow part of a movement whose essential claim is that like the society you live in is fundamentally broken and that it requires like these incredibly sweeping reforms, right? I'm trying to like, this is kind of connecting to what you're saying, where like, you could say like kind of the post 90s, post 2000s politics, or in a way post 9-11 politics kind of on the right and the left is like a reaction against what you were calling like this kind of previous nihilism that settled in after the end of the Cold War. Um, and I would say like, yeah, this kind of like uh, is in agreement with what you're saying where that's true, except one side gets accused of being like totally insincere. So it's like, yeah, when some guys like, oh, uh, you know, wages are falling and, uh, you know, people are having hard times finding homes and, um, you know, crime is, is up or whatever. And everyone like nods their heads in agreement. And the guy's like, this is why we need like full blown like Leninism, right? It's we all so need to become insane. communists. It's and so everyone's obvious like, that that's just going to make everything worse. Like, I can't believe they say this shit. But so, well, the point I'm trying to make <laughs> is that, okay, so you listen to that and you're like, okay. And then someone else comes along and they're like, all right, well, I believe, you know, like, you know, Bronze Age pervert comes along and he goes, yeah, all that stuff's true. That's why we need to like, you know, get rid of everyone in Washington, D.C. and like close the borders and like restrict immigration and stuff. And then they're like, oh, like, boo, hiss, you're like a. You're like a transgressive nihilist. You don't believe in anything. It's like, what? Like, I thought we just agreed that there are like these intractable problems yeah. in Western society that are causing like this precipitous decline. You notice this all the time. I noticed this a few months ago when people were talking about inflation. The same people that think that we, the only thing that will fix America is a communist revolution. They were basically defending like the Washington DC line that like, oh, there is no inflation. And if there is, it's only in like luxury goods that only like the kulaks buy. Um, you know, like meat and milk, like these are just like luxuries that only an aristocrat would want. And it's just like, this is so curious. Like, why are people who, like your stated beliefs are that things have decayed so drastically in America that we need like a revolutionary vanguard leftism to fix it. But then at the same time, things really aren't that bad and everyone's just like this fat cat bourgeois. And it's like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. So there's a contradiction there. And part of the contradiction is that, yeah, like whenever, and again, this, this kind of comes out of the 2015 and 2016 uh, relationship between like the leftist analysis of the, the far right, which they still, uh, some people uh, still cling to and which is like totally wrong. But yeah, like, oh, well, because we don't want them to be taken seriously when they address these intractable problems, 
we are going to temporarily pretend that there are no intractable problems in America. But then when, you know, when, when it's our time to talk about what we think needs to be done, then we're going to depict America as like this totally unlivable nightmare. So if someone complains that their car was broken into, we're going to make fun of them. And we're going to say that they're like just an entitled, uh, uh, you know, slovenly, uh, like decadent uh, American who shops at Walmart or whatever. And then well, he's racist for having his own property locked e- up. Exactly. Yeah. He, he's all that's Yeah, exactly. He's a he's a petite bourgeois owner, operator, Canadian truck driver or whatever. But then when like, you know, when uh, some non-binary, uh, you know, creature can't like, you know, they're, they're like you having a GoFundMe because they, they, they want like rent for like a new apartment then it's like oh i live in this hell world we need like full communism now and all of a sudden america is just like riddled with problems that are like so catastrophic that we need this like young burgeoning leftist just explosion in order to like upend all the institutions in society and so it's just i'm just noticing like as i think about this it's like i'm just noticing that like those things can't honestly exist side by side where it's like you know you point out certain things that you think call for very drastic uh, a drastic restructuring of american culture american politics you know domestic foreign policy all the, the whole the whole uh, the whole shebang and you know that's just like oh you're a troll you know but then when other people call for it it's like oh this is this is real this is like meaningful this is material analysis etc well yeah and the thing that that just gets me <clears throat> and well, I can never I could never take these people seriously, though, is because like we're struggling for history, you know, and we need full communism now. Oh, how do we implement full communism? We'll just vote for Joe Biden. Like that's literally their fucking res- <laughs> like solution. <laughs> like like that's their move. Well, it if breaks you- into it. I mean, it, it breaks into lots of it. That manifestation, the way you pointed it is like a specific manifestation of a, of a broader trend that I think it generally applies everywhere. So like, it's even cultural too, like in, 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 you know, now that you got me thinking more about um, like, you know, kill all normies and stuff, uh, you know, like a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that book, I believe, and a lot of other writing was about like um, anti-feminism and, you know, people who were like critical of like contemporary sex relations which like, you know, manifests in a lot of niche subcultures, like the pickup artists, like the manosphere, right? And like all that other stuff. And, um, you know, it, it, a lot of that was like, oh, this, this is like unserious and it's just like completely insulting and nobody should be taking this seriously. But at the same time that that was going on, you know, you had this total reordering of how people ought to think about like sex relations where you had the kind of economics of sex and the, the material circumstances of sex changing uh, in the 2010s with the advent of online dating and the kind of apps like Tinder and stuff. And then also the attempt to build a culture around that, like a new sex etiquette that culminated in like the Me Too movement, where it was like, no, this is the new appropriate etiquette for sexual behavior and, and the kind of rapport between men and women, given this new climate that we're in. So like, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to point out like the contradiction here where like, you know, people who acknowledge that there are serious problems, let's say in the example I'm bringing up in like sex relations, people who are bringing up those problems and saying that the only meaningful solutions to them are like considered retrograde or like, you know, more conservative, let's say they're seen as like bad faith and insincere. But then at the same time, they're proposing these like radical new 
ideas like affirmative consent and you know they're engaging in these radical new behaviors by like trying to like um you know make it socially acceptable for instance for you know people to have their lives ruined over essentially like non-credible accusations right or like just spurious accusations that like people should basically be judged guilty before uh, or they, they should be presumed uh, guilty until proven innocent. And my point is like, just by doing that, they're essentially conceding the point that like, oh, actually there are really terrible problems with this new way of doing things, right? Like it's actually not working and it's really, really bad. And it's just like the only solution that constantly comes from people who kind of engage in this is to essentially double down on their own ideology in like a, a very intractable kind of finger in your ears type way where like no 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 no. there's nothing wrong with you know the post 60s sex revolution it's all everything's good everything's good we just need to like become more punitive against men and you know we need to do all that stuff and just by the very fact of doing that they're essentially conceding like the the kind of right-wing troll position that like oh like there are um serious problems with you know modern sex relations there are serious problems with marriage there are serious problems with the way you know people are relating to each other uh, in the country but it, it, it's a totally cynical power move though in an attempt to get like get the upper hand in the in the in the changing relationship and in the changing sexual marketplace and it's not really an attempt you know i almost said it's an attempt to like put the brakes on it and i think maybe there were some sincere people out there who did want to put the brakes on it and uh somehow intervene have the managerial human resources class intervene in this new uh sifting out of uh sexual dynamics in our culture but i think for the most part it was a cynical power move to try to get uh, a, a feminist cynical power move to try to have women have the upper hand and i looks in a lot of ways that it worked um try, trying to get uh you know, they call it advocacy, but I, I almost wonder if it actually helps any individual woman, uh, you know, improve her life beyond um, improving her sex life. Because it's it's weird for me to be saying this right now, but if you look back on it from 2022, you know, the Me Too stuff has kind of died down and it's still pockets of, you know, flames here and there but for the most part i haven't really heard much about it in a couple years it hasn't really garnered any headlines in a long time but the thing that is still wildly uh excuse me widely pervasive uh in online discourse as well as journalism as well as like opinion journalism and stuff is the sexual degeneracy and advocating for the sexual degeneracy and pushing that and it's almost the thing that i find myself uh can't believing here but i'm almost looking back on me too as like that was the last time anyone tried to insert any sort of morality or any alternative to just pure debauchery and even that's gone now even if i disagreed with me too and even if i did think it was cynical it was the last time anyone well actually you know that brings up that brings me to one of the things i wanted to bring up to you in the beginning i didn't think we'd be able to get to Oh, yeah, sure. I thought we were going to run out of time here, but uh, I wanted to know what you think about this Tradcath movement that's happening <laughs> online. And the reason I'm bringing it up in the context that I'm, I'm saying now is, like I said, I'm like looking back on the Me Too movement. It's like, wow, yeah, that's the last time like anyone, especially especially anyone on the left or any liberal tried to put anything uh, of like 
putting the reins on or trying to get some sort of uh, trying to get out of head of this movement and give it some sort of uh, semblance of control. Even if I disagreed with it, at least they were trying to, to give it some some sort of structure and some sort of parameters. And like, I just feel like, uh, you know, the brakes have the brakes have the brake. Someone cut the brake line and it's just pure debauchery now. And now the only time people and this is really inside baseball here. The only time people are advocating for any sort of like temperance to sexual degeneracy are the um, trad cats who I see as like major, major reaction uh, in, in terms of like uh, reactive forces, um, the pendulum swinging is these people, at least in their rhetoric, want to take it as far in the opposite direction as as imaginable. Like there was this one guy. Did you ever see this guy's uh, what was he? Zoomer Theosis. His oh yeah. yeah, he was Orthodox, but he, dude, I, he's I mean, one of my favorite accounts of same, all same, time, yeah. dude. He's like, he's like, if you wouldn't do it with your sister, don't do it with your wife, and and all all nudity is immoral, including uh, your, including seeing your wife naked. <laughs> yeah, I invited him into a space to tell off Citizen. Uh, Are you when... serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when wish I was there. We did a we did a space after Citizen made his Twitter thread about how uh, he told people he said that as a practicing Catholic, you have to have premarital sex in order to save your soul, which is like obviously wrong according to church teaching. Yeah, but, but it's he, obviously he was, true. According he was to making life. like a ra- well, he was making a roundabout point that like essentially which I do think is true in, 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 in a contemporary sense. It absolutely is true. Even though like his initial tweet was like wrong in a, in a way from a Catholic perspective. No, no, um, I know. From a doctrinaire, was, from a doctrinaire was, standpoint, it was wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But he was making, um, he was kind of making this roundabout point that, you know, there is a kind of long-term way that young men can easily set themselves up for failure. And when that becomes, um, a kind of irreversible problem with time it creates a whole host of other problems and this is where people just like ignored this part of his thread which i thought was absolutely right uh some of those ramifications will be spiritual like the way he put it is that like you know you're, you're basically like alone and you're in your late 20s or, or even like you're 30 and you actually start to just resent god because you're alone and it's it like really sucks that like prolonged isolation and loneliness kind of will have a almost like despairing effect on you and people i noticed that people were so mad at his initial tweet that they kind of totally ignored that point which actually i thought was like one of the more important points so anyway we did a space where everyone got to yell at him for either being a fake cell or a bad catholic and uh zoomer theosis who is i guess he's a a young uh he's orthodox so he's not catholic but you know close enough and uh, yeah, he was like extremely mad. And so we, we, I brought him in and uh, I was like, you know, have Adam, man, this is your moment. Let him know what you think. And he just kind of like, he just like laid into him. It was great. It was great content. I wish I was there for that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Yeah, fun. well, I, I see the, the ortho bros as like, the, I mean, the, this, I can't, it's, I'm so sorry. I don't know how many people are going to listen to this and I really hope I don't get... <laughs> massively flamed for what i'm about to say but as someone who was born and raised catholic and is is culturally a catholic and Mm -hmm. i'm italian so it's like italian american it's like uh it's like uh, synonymous with being catholic you know yeah and i see these guys online and i 
I, I can't help but see it as a joke. To, it's like such a joke. And they're being so silly. And the way I see the Tradcats are, uh, they're a reaction to the degeneracy in society. And the Ortho Bros are like, hold my beer. Like, you, you, oh, you're a Tradcat? Tradcats are basically liberals. Like, we're Ortho Bros, you know? Now, that being said, that being said, I actually harbor a fair amount of admiration for these guys and the and and the women too i i just don't know how serious they are and i hope i'm proven at some point that they're that they are serious because if there is a contingent of young people who are like stridently and adamantly uh advocating for monogamy and like like loving uh relationships and like no sex outside of marriage and uh you know raising children in a two family two you know you know man and a woman family home uh, a nuclear family in the traditional sense like that's like the best possible thing that could come about but i have yet to be you know i i've have yet to see anything other than that like the trad cats are incels and the and the and the track the trad cat men and the trad cat females are like uh reform strippers and like only fans models like that's like the two dynamics that i see i once tweeted i once tweeted that like uh trad cats the trad cats have the horniest women and the least fuckable guys like it's like the worst fucking combination bro oh my god i hope you don't you know you're not a trad cat right you you <laughs> i basically i basically am no 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 I... but let me let me make the comp let me make the the, 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 the a trad cat okay is someone who was raised in a secular way where religion was either not taught at all your parents didn't have any religion or they were actively like leftist leftist atheist socialist communists who like tried to instill that in you and and then you get to college and like you're blown away and you, you go on the internet and the sexual marketplace is like massively overwhelming to you and you don't know what to think and you have this like spiritual dearth inside of you so you like immediately revert to like the most uh, uh regressive form of religion available to you but uh you don't understand it and you don't embody it and you don't really know what it means so you just read the thing and you're like oh that's what it, the words say on the page so i'm gonna just do that as opposed to someone who like lives it and embodies it and and was raised in it and uh and and you know i i'm i i have strange kind of idiosyncratic opinions about conversion and and proselytization i'm actually kind of against it in a lot of ways but i'm not totally against it so if someone discovers a religion i mean don't get me wrong if someone discovers a religion and like really finds some sort of solace in it and feels like they're having a commun communion with god like I want to do nothing but support them, but I can't help but see a lot of this as like a trend and like people are just picking up on the latest trend. And when I read your content on religion and Catholicism, I don't get the impression at all that you like just fucking found out about this last year. You know what no. I mean? Like, <laughs> no, all. I didn't No, yeah, I've, exactly. I've known about it for a little bit longer. Exactly. Than I, yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, okay. Let me say, let me defend every online LARPer as a whole okay um by of any just, of any of any variety uh yeah mostly yeah, okay mostly, all right because right, right. let, let me just because i feel like sometimes it's good it's good to talk like i do enjoy 
kind of talking about certain like subcultures uh like in in and of in and of themselves but i also think there's a there's always like a reason some of these things exist and i think that a lot of times it's easy to lose sight for why some reaction like this exists like a lot of times you know people um you know they even the term reactionary it suggests not only like a uh, a secondary motion right you're reacting to something right but it also one of the the pejorative senses of reactionary is that it's insufficient because someone who's reacting is always like a step behind, right? At least. Um, but one of the things people forget when they when they think like that is that usually someone who's reacting to something uh, is reacting to something that is in fact bad, right? And so I think that like as um, as as like kind of ridiculous uh, or as unbelievable as some of the subcultures can appear certain members of them or whatever uh things like are outrageous and you you can't possibly believe this person believes what they say or, or, or that at least that they um they live like what they say right i think that like that is true sometimes but i think that like just getting back to the something like the the me too movement i, I think it's instructive because part of the problem is that there's this tension that assumes the form of a contradiction basically and the way we discuss, you know, relationships and sex today, and you see this manifest very strongly uh, on the on the left because the left is so predominant. And it, essentially, the contradiction is that the guiding ethic for sexual relations is to maximize people's choice and autonomy as much as possible. But that is now running into conflict, a direct tension with the acknowledgement which is largely correct even though because they're leftists it's all wrong um the 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 impulse that there is a social responsibility that people bear in their actions and it's kind of like irresponsible to just gloss over those things right this is part of the reason why no one really wants to like be a libertarian anymore because it just feels at this point um that it's it's like irresponsible to ignore the, the, the social consequences of people's behavior. And so everyone's trying to work out a way in which you can kind of acknowledge them. And the problem is that for leftism today, you essentially have a movement that's dedicated both to maximizing the like autonomy of the individual person, and at the same time, trying to come up with this like workable, some sort of workable ethic of, of like pro prohibiting certain behaviors and creating new norms and an and etiquette that somehow acknowledges social responsibility. But then it gets back to what you were saying before. This is mostly cynical and it's a disaster and it's totally unworkable. And it just becomes incredibly punitive to men. It kind of just exacerbates the, the problems that we have of social, social isolation and sexlessness and like failure of relationships to even form when people are young, the decline in the marriage rate, the collapse in the fertility rate, like the whole thing is just an absolute uh, disaster. And so I think that just at a kind of a broad bird's eye view, the kind of things you see from like, you know, trad cats or just like kind of Christians reacting to this stuff. I think that it's like immediately sensible in that respect that like, it's very clear, kind of like similar to the way we've been handling like 
you know, like the news about like the virus or the past like two years, like that the consensus opinion is empty. It's unfounded. And people are just kind of like winging it. And the people winging it are essentially your enemies and they don't have your interest at heart. And so you really shouldn't be listening to them anymore. Like, you know, one day they're going to tell you that, you know, if your kid, if your kid uh, comes to you and they say that they have a totally novel sexual identity, that that's like his personal choice and his autonomy. And you have to respect that potentially at the point of like a gun, maybe in, in, in the coming years. And at the same time, uh, a guy who like has a bunch of dates with women on a dating app and they don't really go anywhere and he stops talking to them should essentially be treated as a rapist. Right. And so like, it's, it's like a complete mess and it's like uh, irredeemably evil in both. So like there, to the extent that it tries to embrace radical autonomy, it's evil. And to the extent that it's trying to restrain behavior, it's also profoundly evil. Uh, because again, it's like cynical. It's pretty much just targeted at men. It's like a sheer, like you were saying, it's like a total power play. And so I come at it from that perspective. That's why I kind of don't mind people who, whether they're LARPing or not, like, I know I sound like I'm just like trying to avoid talking specifically about these subcultures, like, you know, orthobros or trad cats. And I kind of am because like, I do sympathize with them to an extent, even from a, re a religious perspective. So I kind of am dodging it a little bit. I'm just trying to say that, like, I understand why these kind of, um, like, spaces exist, because it's like, you know, the, the mainstream stuff is a disaster. There, you know, your dad is not going to guide you into a healthy relationship. There is no, there is no fatherly authority. There is no general kind of more mature mentoring authority that's going to guide young men into healthy relationships. It's just like you have your phone, you have a bunch of apps, and it's like a minefield. And like, you're going to die spiritually. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be a disaster. And so like, um, because it's so bad, and because the mainstream is so profoundly unhealthy, and it's getting worse, like every year, it's like, the fact that there are some people that fall through the cracks and like try to develop a like an alternative to that, uh, it doesn't really surprise me um, at all. And especially it doesn't surprise me that it manifests as like a kind of reactionary Christianity because, you know, Christianity is kind of always there. It's, it's extremely irrelevant in America, but it's always kind of in the background like, hey, you know, marriage is important. Don't have promiscuous sex, you know, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like it kind of it's kind of like a, a symbol that stands against all those things, even though it's, it's much less potent than it used to be. Yeah, well, and it's always been the old people's position. And now with the Tradcast, we have young people who are taking it up. Yes. I don't know if it will ever become cool, but it could just stay like a ghettoized uh, online subculture. But it could, it could you know, th there is, a, it is gaining a lot of traction with the back to, with the back to the land uh element of it a lot of those people and that's where the larp becomes real and like you know you got to distinguish between a larp a larp and a reality um you know the guy who made a lot of money on bitcoin who talks about making a lot of a lot of money on bitcoin isn't a larper the guy who's got uh you know a, a couple thousand dollars in, in stuff that's worth only a couple thousand dollars is the larper you know what i mean yeah so a married guy with kids or a married woman with kids who own a farm uh, 
who but who were who fit my description earlier who they were raised you know atheist and and converted in their 20s or whatever like i don't consider them larpers you know what i mean and i think part of what you're saying is well part of what you're saying right and correct me if i'm wrong is like sympathy for them wanting to have like a real experience but uh, but uh, do i do i basically have that right on what you're trying to say um yeah like i think that okay the 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 downside the major downside to larping right is that there's a level of dishonesty and insincerity living and and kind of and, and going with a trend yeah expressly yeah. believing something that's incongruent with how you behave is right, always right, going right, right. To, yeah it's always going to have like a negative fallout to a degree sometimes it can have a positive fallout in the sense that your beliefs end up actually changing your behavior that that can happen sometimes too but i think that broadly um like larping in the sense of like a uh, exploring uh, like alternative ways of thinking about things or different approaches that you might have just brushed off or dismissed very easily previously. Uh, I think people consider that LARPing as well. And I, I kind of, so in other words, I want to still be critical of a, a certain understanding of, of LARPing to the extent that people start to become kind of too self uh, absorbed and, and they start to come off a little bit like detached from well, and they, their, and they their also circumstances. do the holier than now thing, which yeah, 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 so stuff important. like that. Yeah. yeah, but I think that um, in a in a much broader way to kind of defend it, it's like that's fine. Like uh, the mainstream is just like just sick and totally rotten from from the top to the bottom. You know what I mean? Like I like uh, it's it's kind of like telling people to not LARP is telling them to just like be normal. And maybe at one point that was like fine, but like normalcy now is like really bad for like a lot of people. And the things that are accepted now as normal are like really bad too. People are believing very insane things and they're not just believing very insane things, they're normalizing them to the extent that they're considered like, okay. And I, I, I think that like feeling that consensus shift kind of, uh, it kind of, uh, what do you, what do I want to say? It, it, to me, it lessens the absurdity of LARPing, right? As more people become crazy, right? Doing, doing your own thing or whatever you believe becomes like less absurd, uh, offensive to me. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, well, you know, this person's LARPing is something and yeah, they're kind of like not really acknowledging the way things really are, but Ah, whatever like at least they're not like at least their mind hasn't been totally melted by like, right you know the, whatever the mainstream consensus is saying now like at least they're not online talking about how like you know we need to like we need to go to russia and like you know like capture vladimir putin or it's like you know what i mean like normal people who are like so-called respectable in american society are just like they're bonkers man they've lost yeah. it completely and so it's like you know, I still feel like I have a decent grip on reality where I know the I can like parse the the negative aspects of LARPing versus like the benefits. But like, yeah, like I'm not going to let some like mainstream person just like write people off because it's like, hey, like, well, what's normal? Tell me what's normal right now. Like and I'm going to start laughing at it because it's 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 going to in certain a certain respect, it's probably going to be much, much worse than the things that, you know, we kind of laugh at when we see people on Twitter talking about like, I don't know, drinking breast milk or something like that. Like I can't, I'm just trying to think of like, you know, like in other words, like, is that weird? Yeah. Is it like, I don't know if it's LARPing, but it's like, is, is, is that like kind of absurd in a way? Like it's, it's absurd. Is it, 
is it more absurd than some mainstream trends no like it's actually it's actually like the least crazy thing that some people could do now in 2022 i mean technically all milk is breast milk (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man i came across so harsh on the tradcast that we love our tradcast honestly i mean that's fine i mean i kind of i mean i actually i i don't I don't really call myself one, uh, but I guess I am in a lot of ways. But I think that your explanation of like where they come from, like to the extent that you consider that kind of origin story integral of like a young person who's kind of deracinated and disconnected from their own history. And then they kind of develop an inverse uh, like ideology as a kind of extreme reaction against it. I haven't thought about it. I think it's a really interesting way of like specifically categorizing it as like an online phenomena, because in that case, I actually don't share that really. That's not my story. Uh, but like, you know, I, I, I like prefer like the Latin mass to the, to the new mass or whatever. So like, in that, like there, there's like a very like real kind of um, pedestrian sense in which, you know, I, 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 I would be considered like a trad cat. Uh, or like, you know, I, I do sincerely like believe in the teachings of the church and I try to take it seriously to the best I can. But yeah, like to, to the extent that you believe like the LARP is kind of bound up in the essence of the definition of what it is, I guess, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really fit it as much as uh, some other people. So I'm just trying to like parse, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah, I feel and- like you really hit on something with like the, it ha- like it doesn't make maybe have to be, but like, yeah, that kind of that origin story of, uh, kind of for other people who similarly fall into like maybe right-wing politics where they're kind of, you know, just doesn't even have to be religious, but they're still kind of reacting against their parental upbringing or the wider culture, the college experience, et cetera, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't, I don't even really have a problem with their core beliefs and I hope they stick with them and I hope it, it brings them somewhere. Uh, I, I hope it's not just a trend that some people in the early twenties are, are going through. Uh, because I think it's great. I never would have imagined this happening. Although Moldbrook also predicted it. Um, he predicted. Oh, did almost, he? Yeah, he predicted almost everything that happened, dude. I don't think he said straight up they will become Catholic, but I think he. he I. I don't think I know. He said that uh, the kids who uh, are raised by these l- fucking maniacal liberals, their version of being cool is going to like be to reject atheism and to reject nihilism and to reject liberalism and and go conservative because that's like what the cool kids do now and uh believing in you know liberal ideology is like for grandma and and for my 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 old uh spinster wine aunt who used to be cool before i was born but hasn't been for a long time but just hasn't figured it out yet (laughs) um so Right. And then but the other thing, too, is I'm 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 prone to using catch all phrases that uh, can easily be misconstrued because I'm applying a broad term. I do this a lot, actually, uh, applying a broad term to a group of people that actually don't see any affiliation with each other. Mm-hmm. So you have like the the traditional Catholics who are more like somebody like the way I describe myself, uh, even though I don't even consider myself a Catholic. I was mm-hmm. I still kind of am, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That's traditional Catholic. And then a trad cath is the kids I'm talking about. Ah, okay. Early 20s. But then you have the integralists. And when I like Adrian Vermuller and like um, a couple other uh, 
people whose names, if I said them, you would know them, but I can't think of who they are. But they're like journalists, like a couple of female journalists, Tanya something, I think her name is, and Liz Bruning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when I say Tradcath, people just, just think I mean the Integralist, and they just think I'm talking about Vermeuler and his whole movement, which is uh, strangely tied in closely, I think, with Yorham Hazoni and uh, yes. like the Israeli nationalism, because there's just that new conference the, uh, like the new conservative conference in Florida, you know what I mean? It's like these guys are on the cutting edge of conservatism, and it's like those two guys basically. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I my point is when I say Tradcath, a lot of people think I mean Adrian Vermeule and like this uh socialist uh based socialism, as Bap calls it, um, uh, where they they're like they're like Catholic conservative traditionalists, yet they're advocating for full immigration and Medicaid for all. So a lot of people see that as a cynical political ploy. Um, I wonder if you have any idea or any opinion on uh, the best explanation I've found for like what the hell could Adrian Vermeuler's motivation possibly be? Like why Catholic? Because it seems like a minority. I mean, it's always been a minority in this country. Uh, but somebody was explaining it that like some of those like Midwest, upper Midwest countries, Ohio, or excuse me, uh, states, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. And then there a lot of those like white working class Trump voters are traditionally like Catholic, Irish Catholic, German Catholics, because I, I'm not I'm not even 100 percent Italian. I have I the part of me that's not Italian is German and it's uh, German Catholic which like you don't really think of, right? Because mm-hmm. Germany invented Protestantism. But there's a large voting block that was traditionally voting Democrat of, of those folks, uh, but they, they still cling to some conservative Catholic core views at the end of the day. I don't know if you've ever been exposed to that idea that that's where the integralists come in as an, an attempt to garner those votes for traditional Republicans. Uh, because, you know, Trump flipped a couple states. He flipped Wisconsin. I can't remember what else, what other ones, maybe Ohio, uh, because he he got a lot of people who traditionally vote Democrat to vote for him. And this new Catholic integralist movement is an attempt to garner those votes for the traditional GOP. Have you ever heard that theory? Or if not, does it sound um, plausible? I mean, I've heard, I've heard that that's like what the belief is, but I think that's actually 180 degrees incorrect like I, okay, I, think, okay. I, I think that in other words i think that if that i've heard that that's their stated intention like you know you, you talking about the figures you mentioned you hear people saying that they want like a multiracial working class coalition and one of the problems with that is that isn't really what motivated um let's say democrats and and democrats to switch over and vote for trump and it also is not really what primarily, I would say, primarily motivated uh, Republican voters to to break for Trump. A lot of it really is some of the issues that, you know, the liberals kind of panic and go hysterical over, which is like that their identity issues, cultural issues, demographic transformation, immigration, um, things like that. And so it's kind of like exactly what the kind of quote unquote integralists, it's exactly what they don't want to be the case. They want to say, um, they want like a safety valve for a kind of reaction to republic mainstream Republican politics, which can manifest in like a kind of innocuous economic reform, where they can kind of stick to talking about those issues. And even when they want to talk about social issues, they can phrase them and, and position them in such a way that they're kind of instrumental in their 
economic reform, like almost like a right wing, yeah, like like what you were saying, BAPS is like a right wing socialism, um, which like to, to be perfectly honest, maybe not from like bad faith actors, like the people that you named specifically, but if I thought that people were serious about like the right wing aspect of that, I might not even have a problem with it. Like if I knew for a fact that they were interested in like, like severe like immigration restriction or like, you know, other kind of, other kind of uh, like undoing, undoings of, you know, entrenched American cultural policy. I wouldn't even probably care about whatever else they were saying. I would just like vote for them <laughs> like anyway. But I think that now that I'm thinking about this, there is a kind of relationship between the people you're naming and like the general trad cath like subculture online. Um, and this is, it's like, it can be used cynically, which I think it is in the case of Harzoni and Vermeule and those figures. Like I, I think, you know, Babs right when he, he kind of, uh, accuses those those guys of acting in, in somewhat bad faith. Um, but I will I will defend this general approach. You were talking about like the electorate, but I think that it's always, it, it's been true for a very long time that the right in America has always been largely a Protestant army with a Catholic brain, if that makes any sense. Uh, so I'm, the, uh, that's a new idea to me. You got to explain that one. Well, no, just, just in terms of like the conservative movement and the, the, the kind of right-wing intelligentsia in America since the 60s has been predominated by Catholics. It's had like a heavy Catholic influence. Um, I don't think I knew that actually. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's been like a thing. It, it didn't start with integralists. You know, even like Bill Buckley started National Review. Like he was a Catholic. Uh, it's not necessarily that he was like the most Catholic, but it was the Catholic writers and even, you know, like people like Richard John Newhouse, who ended up 